0: Open your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 20. We are on our penultimate, the next-to-last sermon on the Ten Commandments. We start the Tenth Commandment today. We look at what's required, and next Sunday, we will finish the Ten Commandments by looking at what is forbidden in this command against coveting. Exodus 20, verse 17, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Let's pray. Father, keep us from covetousness. Help us to understand that man's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Lord, we live in a society of covetousness, We live in the midst of a people who firmly believe that the abundance that our life consists in the abundance of possessions. And Father, we too believe that. Stir us out of that. Free us from envy. Free us from this overwhelming desire for more, more, more. Help us to be content with our our own things. Help us to be grateful and joyful, charitable, regarding our neighbor's things, and help us to love your law and desire only to keep it. Lord, we come to you as a covetous people. We pray that you would forgive us and cleanse us of that sin so that our hearts might be open to hear this word of exhortation. Help me to speak boldly and accurately with the anointing of your Spirit Help us all to be less covetous and more content, like your Son, who did the opposite of covetousness, the opposite of envy, in coming and dying for us. We praise you in his name, and we pray in his name. Amen. The Ten Commandments begin with God and end with neighbor. I am the Lord your God, the first statement of the first commandment. Don't covet your neighbor. Neighbors is the last word in the commands. This is intentional. This progression from God to neighbor. Being brought out of Egypt sets you right with God. It also sets you right with those around you with your neighbors. The neighbor doesn't show up in the commandments uh, by name until the ninth commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. But then he's inescapable. The word neighbor appears three times in the Tenth Commandment. As if to remind us that this covetousness tends to be all about the neighbor. What we'll see this morning is that the Tenth Commandment requires full contentment with our own lot, full joy in our neighbor's lot, in our neighbor's good, and then satisfaction with our God and His law. Contentment with our own lot, charity toward our neighbor and what he has, satisfaction with the law of god so john steinbeck american communist party member for a time and uh, well-worn person in lit circles what does he say He makes this interesting comment it is said that humans are never satisfied that you give them one thing and they want something more and this is said in disparagement whereas it is one of the greatest talents the species has and one that has made it superior to animals that are satisfied with what they have. Thus far Steinbeck, Steinbeck tells us, don't be ashamed of your desire for more. That is what makes you human. It's true. Human beings are made, it's partially true. Human beings are made with the desire for more. Animals are satisfied with what they have. Human beings are made for something more. What is that something more? In our fallenness, we think that something more is more of the same. More of this world's goods, a higher paycheck, a bigger house, a faster car, a tastier meal, a more luxurious lifestyle. Is that the more for which we're made? No. The more for which we are made is more fellowship with God. More like Christ. More in heaven. That's why we're not satisfied with the things of earth. And it's why an unlimited amount of the things of earth does not satisfy. We know this. We've all experienced the The longing for that piece of stuff, that thing we desire so much, we get it and we use it hard for a day or two and then pretty soon we lose all interest. The thing no longer makes us happy. Everyone has experienced that. And yet few of us are able to get past the desire for the next new thing. Our heart feeds it, our flesh feeds it, our culture feeds it, And we often deliberately feed it. I'm saving up for my next trip, my next adventure, my next thing, my next project, my next fun. The Tenth Commandment says, do not live that way. Thou shalt not covet. Covetousness is the fallen desire for more. Covetousness is wanting something in the wrong way something illicit for you to have, or something simply that God has not seen fit to give you at this point in time. So covetousness can manifest itself maybe in the most naked form, in the cravings for drugs. I need my next hit of methamphetamine. I need my next dose of Oxycontin. Or in a more refined form, I just need to put in a few more hours this week so that I can make the money so that I can buy that toy that I've been coveting. Or anything along those lines. The commandment comes to us and says, you shall not covet, thereby forbidding us to get involved with the addictive substances that trigger the craving for more, forbidding us to get involved in the world's constant cycle of the new and improved and the new thing to want and desire and covet. The commandment comes to us and says, you must live in contentment. The Lord made us for more, more of Himself, but in terms of the things of this world, He made us for contentment. You eat one meal and you don't immediately say, wow, that was a good meal, let me have another one right now. No, you are content you eat good healthy food you feel full you feel satisfied you don't feel that you need any more and by the same token if you eat the unhealthy food that produces cravings you eat too much you do feel that you need more because it triggers that addictive response the commandment tells us this is true not just of food not just of drugs not just of pleasure but of all the things that the world has to offer. Love not the world or the things in the world. They're not from the Father. They're from the world, and they are the objects of our covetousness. Contentment is what is required, and contentment is a side effect of doing what you should be doing. Working at your work. Eating the food that's good and appropriate for you. uh, Building the relationships that you ought to have rather than indulging in wrong relationships, having an affair, right? I need to be with my mistress more, more, more. I miss her, I crave her. What is that? That is covetousness, as well as a violation of the seventh commandment. So the commandment requires us not to be like an animal, satisfied with what it has simply by instinct, but to have a human kind of contentment whereby we pursue what we ought to be doing. And there are three special considerations that come into this. The first of these is work. The first secret to contentment is a lawful calling and diligence in it. If you work for what you have, you are far more satisfied and content with it than when you don't work for what you have. If something is given to you free, what do you immediately do? I wish it was more. I wish it was better. I don't like it. I criticize it. I complain about it because it cost me nothing and therefore it would have been easy to make it better. But when you make it for yourself, when you work for what you have, you realize your limitations. You realize how hard it would be to make it better. That every additional square foot of this house is going to cost me a certain amount of time, effort, and money and therefore I'm much more content with the size of my house. So work is one key to contentment. When you're putting in the effort to get what you have, you recognize the match between effort and reward. The the second key to contentment is sufficiency. If you don't have enough, it is very hard to be content. But that leads to the question, what is enough? Right? As the billionaire said, just a little bit more. I will have enough when I have 2 billion in the bank. 1 billion is not enough. I will have enough when I have 4 billion. 2 billion is not enough. This is how the human being thinks. That's not what sufficiency is. Sufficiency means, give us this day our daily bread. Are you fed now? Are you wearing clothes now? Has God provided for you right now? It doesn't say, give us this day bread for the next 500 days. (coughs) Give us this day bread for today. So sufficiency, yes, we want a competent portion of the good things of this life. We need enough to live and to perform our calling. But the Christian understanding of sufficiency is not a dollar amount. Ultimately, the Christian understanding of sufficiency is a relationship to say, Jesus is enough. If I have Him, and I don't have food, I still have everything I need. If I have Him, and I don't have a working car, I still have everything I need. If I have Him, and I don't have freedom, I don't have health, I don't have children, spouse, family, I still have everything I need. Right? Psalm 73, there is nothing upon earth that I desire besides you. That's where contentment comes from. The Christian life is the process of learning to know that Jesus is enough. I don't need Jesus and a 30 day supply of food. I don't need Jesus and 90 days of expenses in the bank account. I only need Jesus. That's spiritual maturity right there. It takes a lifetime to learn to know Christ like that, to find your sufficiency in Him like that. Sometimes He challenges us. right? He takes our health. He takes our family. He takes our money. He takes our stuff and says, Am I enough for you? Or will you throw a fit now that you don't have health? Now that you don't have family? Now that you don't have this or that thing that you wanted? To be a Christian is to say that Jesus is enough. And when the trial comes, when the test comes, when the pain comes... He's still enough. That's where we have to live. How do you get there? How do you learn to find Jesus to be enough? You have to get to know Him through the means of grace, the Word, sacraments, prayer, fellowship with people that you are pretty sure are holier than you. Learn to know Jesus like that. And as you do, think about the future. The other secret to contentment is Heaven. There are plenty of people, as Samuel Rutherford said, who demand two heavens: one here and one in the next life. One heaven, though, is all any of us are going to get, or should even expect, or even desire. Contentment is forward-looking, rather than focusing on the needs of today. It focuses on the riches of tomorrow. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. I've got dwelling in the house of the Lord forever coming right up, right? Psalm 1, all that he does shall prosper. What's that promise for? That's a promise of heaven where everything will go right and the curse will be removed. When my dad is talking to somebody who starts to complain or fuss or say things aren't the way they ought to be, dad will say, if you could have everything you wanted, what would you have? If you could have everything you wanted. You would have heaven. And you will have it. It's coming. How often do you think of heaven? How often do you long for heaven? How often do you perform heavenly activities? Like talking to God in prayer. Or singing praise to God. Or fellowshipping with the saints. Or worshipping God. If you don't enjoy the actions of heaven here, you won't enjoy them in heaven. Contentment requires not just that you work, not just that you have enough, but that you look forward to the day when God will be all in all. Contentment is not something possible without that eternal view. If you aren't looking forward to heaven, you won't be content. You will be like Steinbeck's man who wants, who has one thing and wants something more and says, this is what it means to be human. It is, right? But Steinbeck's error is to relocate that entirely into this life. That the desire for more has to be satisfied within the the confines of the imminent, within the boundaries of this world. That's impossible. Our desire for more can only be satisfied by the surplus, by the riches of heaven. So the Tenth Commandment requires contentment. It forbids us to get involved in the world's cycle of acquisition, covetousness, getting rid of old stuff, getting in new stuff as this is what life is about. Life is about getting new, new improved, better, more. No. Tenth Commandment requires contentment with our house, Wife, servants, oxen, donkeys, anything. But the commandment is directed not just to us as individuals, but to us as individuals with neighbors. The 10th commandment says you have to delight in your neighbor's good. You are not allowed to look at your neighbor's good and say, I hate you. I wish I had that good. I desire that good thing that is yours. Commandment is all about the neighbor who appears three times. When you see what your neighbor has, you want it. Right? It's much easier to want something you see than something you don't see. The whole secret of the menu at the restaurant. You see the options and you want them. I was out walking down the alley the other day and the neighbor was out mowing with his new electric lawnmower. And I wanted it. It was quiet, sounded just like a fan, worked very well to cut his grass. That desire for what the neighbor has is at the heart of the violations of this commandment. The commandment requires us to delight in our neighbor's good as though it were our own. So often we want to look at the neighbor's good and say, I hate that you have that. I want that. The sin of Envy. Sorrow at another's good. You can refrain from committing adultery with your neighbor's wife while still begrudging that she's way more attractive, way more organized, way nicer to talk to than your wife. Like That is covetousness. That is envy. No, I'm not committing adultery. Man, I wish my wife was like the neighbor... That is a violation of this command. This command targets the heart. The command says your outward actions might look fine, but your heart can be a seething mass of envy. Whereby, even though you aren't overtly doing anything wrong to your neighbor, you act like you don't love love your neighbor, you don't love your neighbor's wife, because you hate the good that they enjoy. Now, hopefully none of us are sitting here saying, oh yeah, man, I feel guilty. I have hated my neighbor for his lawn for years. But where does this come to expression in our society, right? Hopefully I am a bigger man than to hate my neighbor because he has an electric lawnmower and I don't. Covetousness and envy comes to expression in our society in the idea of class warfare for any Marxist form of group against group. Marx teaches that not only is coveting okay, but that it is the most moral of all passions, right? Witness Steinbeck the communist, saying, human beings want more. And this is what makes us different than the animals. Marx says, wanting what your neighbor has and violently overthrowing the state in order to get it is right, is good, is what human beings ought to be doing. Wanting what the capitalist has and taking it from him to share with the oppressed, Robin Hood on a national or international scale is the most righteous thing a man can do. Equality is the master moral principle. And therefore, envy and covetousness are not sins, but are acts of, Of virtue. What do we say? We say, Marx, the 10th commandment is an atomic bomb dropped by God Almighty on your theory. It blows it to smithereens. According to God, proletarians are supposed to love the bourgeois. According to God, black people are supposed to love white people. According to God, The poor are supposed to love the rich. According to God, women are supposed to love men. The oppressed do not get a victim card that allows them to hate their neighbor and take his stuff. Marx tells us that a world where blacks hate whites, where women hate men, where poor hate rich, and proletarians hate bourgeoisie, is a better, more righteous, more just world. The assertion is ridiculous. Particularly in light of the Tenth Commandment and its statement, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's stuff. Marxism appeals to envy and says, It's right to long for what your neighbor has. And if you are the neighbor with more, then it's right to say those who covet my stuff are understandable. In fact, they are probably doing something right. We all kind of want to believe it that the worse off have a right to hate those who have it better. It's not true. You shall not covet, regardless of what your neighbor has. You live in the shack. He lives in the 20,000 square foot mansion, has a fleet of Cadillacs and Maseratis. You may not hate him for that. Now, don't get me wrong, God's law addresses the superiors too. And it tells the wealthy and the men and the whites and the people on top of the heap, love your neighbor, give to the poor, take care of the oppressed, Give aid to the fatherless and widow. The law of God says, love your neighbor regardless of class, age, sex, race, and so on. We, right, our master moral principle, in other words, is not equality, but is love. Love your neighbor regardless, black or white, proletarian or bourgeois, Woman or man, doesn't matter. Native or immigrant, love your neighbor. We love one another and therefore we do not envy and fight one another. The rich are not my enemies. Black people are not my enemies. Women are not my enemies. I'm not the enemy of those groups either. Brothers and sisters, we in the church have been suckers for Marxist propaganda. Maybe not so much about rich and poor, I think to some extent even there, but definitely when it comes to black versus white, woman versus man, we have bought the class warfare line, by and large. This commandment says, stop. You know it's wrong to hate your neighbor for his lawnmower. It's also wrong to hate your neighbor for his class. For his membership in a protected group or a superior group or an inferior group, class warfare, right? taking envy and covetousness and blowing it up to include huge, massive groups of people doesn't make envy and covetousness any better. In fact, it makes them far, far worse. Scripture says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Love your neighbor, and do not be envious against Him. This is true on the individual level. It's true on the group level. Humans aren't satisfied with what they have. It doesn't mean we should go take from others. It means that we should look to heaven and say, I will be satisfied there. The world is not enough. So you have to be content with your own lot in life. You have to have a right charitable frame of spirit towards your neighbor and all that is his. Including if he has things you really wanted and somehow never got. Right? I really wanted to be an architect, but I can't draw. My neighbor is a great architect. I really wanted to be, you name it, a medical doctor, but my neighbor is a doctor and I'm still stuck as a clerk at Walmart. We tend to to envy, to covet, to hate. God's law says, do not. And in fact, this Tenth Commandment, with its forbidding, not just of overt sins, but of the desire to sin, reaches back and covers all nine of the previous commandments. It demands not just that we keep the law, but that we want to keep the law. It forbids illicit desire, including the desire to break any of the other commands. The 10th commandment says, you must love to keep the law of God. You must desire to keep the law of God. We say, well, that's obvious, right? We agree. Except when we don't. Except when we're tempted. Except when things have been going really wrong. And it's a stressful situation and we're mad. Then we don't want to keep the law of God. And the 10th commandment condemns us for that. All the time, at some level, we're desiring things that are contrary to the law of God. What do we do about that? We go to Jesus. He's the only one who can remedy the sin of covetousness and envy. His sacrifice, as we'll talk next week, is the literal opposite of envy. Instead of seeing what we had and wanting it for himself, he saw what we lacked and gave us what he had. He overturned envy through his death. Jesus knows what envy is, Jesus hates envy, and Jesus has conquered envy. So don't walk in covetousness, but in contentment. If you say, yes, this sin is in my heart. This ideology is in my brain. Repent of it. Go to Jesus and say, I am full of illicit desire. Save me. Heal me. Give me contentment with my own lot. Give me charity toward my neighbor. Give me love for your law. And he'll do it. I'll see you in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would make us a content and joyful people who love our neighbors and who love the good things you've given our neighbors, not for ourselves, but for them. Father, free us from envy, from covetousness on the individual level and on the group level. Help us to turn away from this idea that it's okay to hate those who have more. Help us to recognize the stirrings of covetousness and envy in our own hearts. Give us the grace of contentment because we do have a sufficiency because we have Your Son who is enough, who is all the world to us. We pray in His glorious name. Amen.